Uh, we're going to dive into the Word, and uh, we're going to read a lot of Scripture today. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open that up. We're going to be at the end of Acts chapter 3 and uh, the beginning of Acts chapter 4. And uh, man, I'm so excited to be covering this uh, as a church and talking about this really all this fall. Uh, to recap last week, uh, we, we spoke a message called More Than I Could Ever Ask For, and this was the story about the lame beggar who was crippled from birth. Uh, he was laid at the, the gate of uh, the, the beautiful gate. And he was healed. Uh, a picture of a physical condition, but a focus on a spiritual condition. And just to recap, we talked about the fact that the gospel gives more than we could ever ask for. That there's power in the name of Jesus. And we, we said you either need to get up or you need to start pulling people up in Jesus' name. And, and the last thing we, we said was the gospel always requires a response. And as we unpack the rest of the story today... Uh, we see the response of the religious leaders of this day. And today, there's, there's a really good chance I'm not going to get through all my notes today. Uh, I have a lot of notes, a lot of things to talk about. So I'm just going to do my best to cover some of the high points through, through the text. And uh, whenever we run out of time, I'll pray and we'll worship and we'll dismiss you guys. Is that cool? Uh, so the, the message today is not polished um, by any means, but I have some observations I want to give to you. Acts chapter 3, verse 11 is where we're going to dive in. While the man... The guy that was healed held on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if it's by our own power or godliness that we had made this man walk? And then this is, it gets bold. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. And as you can all see, and then he goes on and he says, repent, this is where we ended last week, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And, and we're going to jump into chapter 4. And in, in your Bible, if you've got a physical Bible, if you need a Bible, we've, we've got them at the Welcome Center. We love giving out Bibles. I encourage you to have one that you can kind of mark up a little bit. You can almost go in between chapter 3 and 4 and write this phrase. Persecution begins. Persecution begins. Uh, going into Acts chapter 4, we see... Uh, some pretty crazy stuff starting to happen to believers and to the early church. Verse 1, chapter 4, it says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. I want you to imagine this, okay? That right in the middle of this message today, some religious leaders, some people, uh, whatever, whatever they may be, it may be political leaders or whatever, they come in and they try to shut down what's happening here this morning, trying to shut down the gospel being spread. It would be kind of crazy, okay? They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus, this is important, the resurrection of the dead. I want you to circle that. The resurrection of the dead. So before we go any further, you need to know who the Sadducees are and why are they so rude? Why you got to be so rude, right? Like they, these guys were not the nicest people. They were very uh, greatly disturbed at the teaching that was being shared. So if you go back to the book of Matthew, John addresses in this text, and he sees the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees walking up, and, and he, uh, he calls them a brood of vipers. Okay, that's not a compliment, by the way, okay? He, and he's like, he tells them that, that you're going to be cut down in due season because you are not bearing any good fruit. 
And uh, he accuses the religious leaders of being a brood of vipers because they felt that they had the power of life and death in their own hands. And I just want to let you know, if you ever run into somebody that feels that way and it ain't Jesus, there's a problem, okay? And it says, they saw themselves as gatekeepers for God, judging who is worthy to go on living or who deserved death. They did not believe in the resurrection. This is the religious leaders, angels, uh, heaven and hell, or the supernatural world. To them, when life was over, that was it, okay? It was it. Wealth was their main pursuit on earth. This is the Sadducees. So fun fact, the Sadducees, you could find out a lot about themselves in their name. They were very sad, you see? Like, okay, <laughs> Bible jokes. I'm glad y'all thought that was funny. Uh, these religious leaders, they were upset that Peter and John were teaching about the resurrection of Jesus, and people by the thousands are being saved from their sin and joining this, this powerful move of God. And, and they did not believe the resurrection. So at this point in the text, this means war. This means that there's about to be some friction and some opposition and some tension with the church. They could not disprove it, but they refused to believe it. I was having lunch with a mentor of mine this week, and, and we were talking about this text, and, and, and I was so, I'm so overwhelmed with the idea that these religious leaders could not disprove the resurrection, but they refused to believe it. Would y'all agree that a lot of people in the world today, this is where they're at? I can't disprove it, but I, I'm not going to believe it. And I, and I want to talk about how we can live a life to actually influence them to believe in the gospel today. This, this is the many state of people today. Verse 3, it says, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, it was dark, they, they put them in jail until the next day. This was unlawful. And I want to pause real quick. We can't just breeze past this, because all I keep thinking about was all these people who just got saved. Like these people just put faith in Jesus and their pastor or their preacher just got arrested. Are y'all tracking with me so far? Like they just got saved. There's a big group of people that they're, they, they're following Christ. They're, they're day one as a Christian. And the guys that shared the gospel with them just got arrested. And, and I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're thinking these guys are about to die a death that Jesus died. I was reminded in Acts 4, as persecution begins, right from uh, chapter 3 to chapter 4, the church grew, but so did opposition. The church grew, but so did opposition. I want you to write this down. As the church grows, so does the opposition. As the church grows, so does the opposition. The same could be said about the follower of Jesus. That as the believer grows, what? So does opposition. When following Jesus, there will be opposition. Have y'all noticed this in life? It's like, man, when I started following Jesus, it seemed like stuff got a little harder. It's like, man, like, because this is the reality is when you're going against the stream and the current of culture, it will feel tough. It will feel hard. It, it says in scripture that it's actually the narrow road. It's not this wide road. And I'll say it this way. If you are here today and you have not faced any opposition recently, no tension no adversity because of your faith, you may be going the wrong direction or you may not be moving at all, like just chilling, okay? <laughs> just chilling in your faith. Ah, like we talked about the, the people that are just bystanders, just observing what's happening at the temple gate. And uh, I don't wanna be in that camp. 
You see, the enemy is not scared of stagnant Christians. Would you all agree with that? The enemy is not intimidated by motionless believers. He's not even worried about people who talk the talk and don't walk the walk. That's not intimidating to him. He's worried about when you're battle ready. He's worried when you're not fighting alone, but you're in a group, when you're committed to community and and you're growing daily in the Lord and in the word of God, when you're led by his spirit. He's he's concerned when you realize that you've got authority over him because Jesus won the battle, by the way. Jesus, fun fact, Jesus won, okay? He won. Spoiler. He hates it when New Life Church meets on Sundays. He hates it when your life group gathers in a home like the early church did and break bread and celebrate the things of God. He hates it when you're invested in the house of God and when you serve and when you're committed to his bride. He hates it when your life is on mission for him. This is what the enemy hates. So when you decide, I've been, I've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and now I'm going to start helping other people to their feet in Jesus' name, there is a target on your back. I came to really encourage you this morning. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, that's what's happening. He's like, oh, no, they're awake again. They're up. That's what I pray we have as a church. I was laughing as I wrote this next part down. I pray the devil doesn't have any fingernails because of the way you live your life. Like, like, a, like a cat walking on a tin roof. That's what Kendra tells me. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> nervous is what it means, right? You should make the enemy intimidated by the way that your actions follow your faith. This is what I pray for. Can we make a decision this, this week as a church to disrupt the devil a little bit? Y'all track some of y'all like, I ain't doing that, you know? <laughs> disrupt the devil. Make it personal. I want you to ask yourself, how can I disrupt the devil this week? How can I disrupt his plan so that God's will can be done? As persecution increased, the number of believers and the impact of the church did as well. And I'm reminded this morning that growth always will cost you something. Would y'all agree? Growth always involves a little bit of friction and opposition and resistance and tension and pain. The early church, I think, would have a lot to say about this. And and I've got a challenge for you this this morning. So um, it would have been way better if this happened two days ago because that was exactly 100 days from January 1st, okay? But today is 98 days. Just imagine it's 100 because 100 sounds way cuter, okay? 98 days away from January 1st. Some of you are sitting in this room and you have already made up your mind that you've got resolutions in place for the new year. Why would you wait? Why would you wait? Like spiritually, why would you wait to start reading the word of God every day? Like your prayer life, why would you wait to start praying every day and, and, and maybe praying over the meal or, or whatever it may be for you or physical health? Why would you wait? I pray that this church is on fire going into the new year and that every person in it's like, man, you can't shut me up. God's moving in this place. Don't wait. Are y'all tracking with me? Don't wait. 98 days. I wish it was 100. That would have been way better. Okay. Muscle is built through resistance and tension. Spiritual muscle is no different. I read, <laughs> I read a story about a guy that would carry this baby pig. There's several. I don't even know if this is a real story, but it, it, was, it proves the point. He, he would carry this baby pig up the mountain every single day, and, 
And he would go up there and pig would walk around, drink some water or whatever. And then they would go down the mountain and they would eat and then he would repeat. He would put the pig on his shoulder. He would walk up the mountain and he would let the pig down and he would walk down the mountain. And this happened every single day. And eventually, what began to grow? The pig, okay? Y'all, y'all are with me. And as the pig grew, what else grew? His, his muscles, okay? <laughs> he got a six pack. I'm kidding. And then they ate bacon. Okay, that's not in my notes. <laughs> but one day, that pig was really big. And as the pig grew, his strength grew. And, and his ability to handle the resistance and the, and the tension. If you wake up just one day, and you're like, I'm really going to run for it and go for the things of God. If you haven't been carrying that weight for a little bit, it's going to be really hard. My encouragement, don't wait. Today, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. I wrote this down. Without opposition, we should be greatly concerned. (laughs) If y'all are ever in a church, this church specifically, and there is no opposition, there is no spiritual opposition, whatever it may be, we should be greatly concerned. But with it, we should be greatly overjoyed. Because light is upsetting the darkness, and the Christ follower is stripping away the flesh and walking by the Spirit. A few op- observations about opposition. Opposition is a promise, not a possibility, okay? As a Christ follower, we are promised that there would be opposition. First Peter says it well in chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked at the fiery trials that you're going to walk through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. The second thing about opposition, opposition is an opportunity. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to trust God more. I saw someone post uh, this last week that had some car trouble, and this is what they, they said, I'm, I'm praying that God would teach me through this. And I'm like, I wouldn't say that, you know? <laughs> opposition is an opportunity for more faith and to press into the things of God. But here's the thing. The opposite is true as well. If opposition is an opportunity, if you are not a Christ follower and you are not connected to Jesus, opposition will crush you. Has anybody ever walked through what seemed like hell and back without Jesus? It was really hard. Without Jesus to lean on, you're doing it in your own strength and that will not suffice. Please notice, Peter and John did not start saying in this moment that they were arrested, God has forsaken me. God, you must have turned your back on me. Where are you now? We saw for the last three years a lot of people who said that they were Christ followers run from the faith because things got tough. I'm not neglecting things that happen. I'm not even saying that it was all justifiable. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when things get tough, it should push you close to the king, not away from him. What is opposition doing in your life? What what if today we started viewing opposition through the lens of opportunity? The next thing I wrote down, opposition is fuel for your faith. It's like gas on the fire. Here's the truth. Where we live today The reason I'm saying opposition and not persecution is because those are significantly different. Are y'all tracking? The early church faced persecution. Our persecution is when the Starbucks order doesn't come out in time, okay? Like, it's like, man, they really need to speed it up in there. 
I asked for four shots of espresso. They gave me two, okay? First world problems. We, there are believers in the world today facing serious opposition. Have you all watched the news? There's people that are dying for their faith. There's people that I could go into detail. They are facing persecution. We face opposition. I do believe there will be a day in the U.S. where there will be persecution for the things you believe in. I believe we are starting to see some of it. And I'm not getting political, I'm getting biblical. So how are you going to handle opposition? This is what I've realized. In the early church, in other countries today, the church is being destroyed from the outside in. This is persecution. But in the U.S., the church is being destroyed from the inside out. Gossip. Slander. It's, It's them versus me, and, well, they... No, 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 we, we are the church. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Being destroyed from the inside out like pride and bitterness and envy and deceit and fear of man and lust and idolatry. Pursuing Jesus is a narrow road. And if you don't want tension and opposition and friction, then go the opposite direction. But it only will satisfy for a season. When we bow to Jesus, we oppose the world which produces opposition. Stay with me. When we bow to the world, we oppose Jesus, which produces sin. There's a difference between opposition and sin. I used to meet with a lot of high school students. I was a youth pastor for a long time. And uh, I would love, I'm just facing so much opposition. I'm like, no, you're being stupid. Like, <laughs> like no, like stop, you know, stop doing drugs. Like stop, you know, stop doing this, stop doing that. There's a difference between opposition and sin, Okay. Sin is rebellion to God. Opposition is submission to God. One is produced from submitting to God's will, and the other is when you submit to your own. Opposition always serves a greater purpose. And in verse 4, it tells us this because it says, But many, circle that word in your Bible, who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This is crazy. 3,000 to 5,000 people in a day. Like a moment happened, a guy gets healed, he runs into the Sanhedrin, they start sharing the gospel, talking about eternal life, talking about who Jesus is, and 2,000 people get saved. Pretty awesome, right? It's powerful. But the word many just really jumped off the page to me. And I've always, this is confession time, (laughs) I've always wrestled with this. And I still wrestle with this and deal with this to this day. Many who heard the message believed. Not all Not even most. We don't even know how many were there that day. It just says many who believed. Many who heard, they they believed. It says many. For a long time, as as I wrestle with this, what I realize is not everybody chooses to follow Jesus. Not all respond to the gospel. I remember preaching some of my first sermons to our youth groups, and boy, I would preach. There'd be like seven people in the room, but I was preaching like there was hundreds, okay? Like, why aren't they giving their life to Christ? It's not up to me. It's not, and once we get this as a church, I, y'all, please get this in your spirit this morning. Not all believe, not all are saved. But this is what I've embraced. I want you to write this down. I will do my part, make it personal. I will do my part. Here's a promise. God always does his part. And the response of the person is between that individual and God. 
man, when I, when I settle this in my spirit, sermon prep gets a lot easier for Sunday because <laughs> it doesn't rest in what I say or don't say or the eloquence of my speech or, or, or how acute the sermon analogy is. No, it rests in the spirit of God. It says the Holy Spirit draws people to what? Repentance. I will do my part. God does his part. And the response of the person is between that individual and God. We play a small part. We do play a part, but it is so small. My, my prayer is that when God wants to use you this week and me this week, that we would be obedient and say yes. That we would be willing to be used. I love this. Peter and John's obedience led to opposition, which led to multiplication of the church. If they would have threw in the towel right then, because things got hard and things were tough and there was some friction and some tension, this church may not be here today. <laughs> but because they endured opposition, multiplication of the church took place. Verse 5, the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers. Anytime you see some of these names, I want you to search. There's a lot of groups of people here. It says that they met in Jerusalem. Annas, not Annas, okay, just to, my, my throat cracked, okay. Annas, uh, make sure you're awake. The high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas and John and Alexander and others from the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power and what name did you do this? They got some questions. Because this dude that just used to lay outside the church, he's never walked in his life. He's, he's been carried by other people his whole life. He's walking. <laughs> He's jumping. The dude's dancing. How did you do this? He says, by what name? Y'all, there is 11 different groups of power here. Religious authorities. I think you'd be willing to say that this was a power move by the religious leaders. They were trying to trap Christians and, and Peter and John. Their goal was to cause fear in their life. And because of the fear... They hoped that they wouldn't share the name of Jesus anymore. Oh, this is going to be, it's going to land very well. Christians at this time were few in number. They were inexperienced in leadership. They were commanded not to fight back. And they were opposed by institutions that have existed for hundreds of years before their time. Needless to say, odds were against them. Would you all agree? It, odds were stacked against them. There was opposition plus unlikely odds plus threats and, and fear and, and, and all of this stuff. And this is what happens in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, y'all, it's about to go down, okay? It's like, this, it gets good right here. It, it says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, this is funny, by the way, you need to laugh at this, shown to a man who was lame and are now being asked how he was healed. They're saying, are y'all really about to arrest us because we helped this brother out? Are y'all tracking? <laughs> like, like, we did a good thing. What have we done wrong? And it says, let it be known, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way. Don't miss this. But whom God raised from the dead, this is the resurrection part that they don't really like, that this man stands before you healed. Verse 11, it says, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Everybody say cornerstone. 
The cornerstone supports all the way. Everything is built on the cornerstone. We've been saying this as a church. It's kind of cheesy, but I like it. Jesus is not in the corner of our lives. He is the, he, oh, sorry, I don't want to butcher it. Jesus is not in the corner of our lives, but he is the cornerstone of our lives. Everything is built on who? Him. Jesus. Everything. My life and my family and my marriage and my kids and my finances, my, every bit of my life, it is built upon the cornerstone. Because if I build it on anything else, what happens? It crumbles. It can't stand strong when opposition comes, when, when persecution comes, when adversity comes. This group that is coming against Peter and John is the same group that had Jesus crucified. Peter's preaching about the man that they killed. Are y'all, y'all getting this? He is literally saying, the, the guy that y'all hung on a cross, it is in his name that this man was healed. To the men who killed him, about the name that holds the power to heal, and against all of the demands of the religious leaders, this is bold. If you ever need some faith, go read the beginning of Acts to start your day. It's like four cups of coffee. It's about to get really good. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. Y'all say no one else. It's important we get this right. If you hear nothing I say today, I hope you get this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there will be a day, the Bible says, where people will come before you and say there is another name. There's another gospel. There will be a day where somebody preaches a different message about repentance and salvation, and that is not good news. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind for which we must be saved. I'm going to read it again just to make sure we don't miss this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind for which we must be saved. Somebody say amen. That's good news. There's no other gospel. There's no other name. This combats any opposing ideology, any other religion, any other belief system, any other value system, any self-help book, any 12 steps to whatever you want to call it. Salvation is found in nobody but Jesus. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. He's the cornerstone. There's no other name under heaven in which we can be saved, not in good intentions, not in good deeds, not in being a good person, because we aren't good. There's no other gods, not in money, not in your parents' faith, not in the name of Jesus' mom, not in the name of Joseph Smith, not in the name of Buddha or any other world religion. Y'all track with me. Salvation is not found in rocks or crystals or tarot cards or feathers or anything else that the new age is saying. Salvation is found in Jesus. In Jesus! (laughs) that we can be saved because he died the death that we deserved. Read Acts. It's like caffeine in the morning. I'm just telling you. We got to get this because the world is preaching another message. Salvation is found in the name of Jesus. But what I've realized, because I got this wrong for many years, is you can't yell Jesus from the rooftops and live a life that looks nothing like him. You can't yell Jesus from the rooftops and still worship your possessions and your job and your kids and your wallet. 
You, you can't, it contradicts, it, the, both of them contradict each other. If we preach no other name, then we better live like we live for no other name. Our life and our actions should always match the thing that we say we believe. And if it doesn't, that makes us a what? Hypocrite. You know what the world is tired of seeing? Hypocritical Christians who say one thing and do another. And to be honest, I'm tired of it too. What would it look like if the church did what it said? And when I say church, that's us. That ain't the building. <laughs> that's us. What if we did what God said to do? People should be witnessed to by the way that you live your lives, not just what you say you believe. Write this down. Share the gospel and use words when necessary. Share the gospel and use words when necessary. Well, Seth, I have to say things. I'm not... You know, I get that. But what if your life preached the gospel more than your mouth did? What if your actions and the way you served your coworkers and your boss that seems evil, okay, or whatever, the way you love your kids even though they're rebelling, what if our life preached the gospel just as much as our words did? I, 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 was, I was shouting at the church last night writing this down because I know that I know that I know that we would see hundreds and thousands of people saved in this region if we did this. The actions that follow your belief system mean a lot to God, by the way. It, do, it does. Uh, so this is, so funny enough, all of that that we just talked about was like setting up the actual message. And I realized last night, there's no way I could share everything that I wrote down. <laughs> and so that was like message one. Here's message two. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter, I mean, anyone that's new, I'm, we're going to be done like four minutes, I promise. I'm just joking. They're like, man, two messages, one Sunday. Wow. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that these were unschooled, circled that, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with what? With Jesus. <laughs> if you read this, if something doesn't change inside of you as a believer, I read this. And I, it's like everything in me was just jumping. Unschooled, that should give you confidence today, okay? Ordinary, that should give you more confidence. I said, men, they, they've been with Jesus. These religious leaders, they noticed these guys' courage. These religious leaders, they noticed these men's boldness and, and their faith and, and the way that they, they said the name of Jesus with authority. The way that they walked around different than the rest of the world. The way that they served. This is huge. You need to know people are watching the way you live. They're watching the way you talk. They're watching the way that you walk. When someone is around you, are they noticing that you've been with Jesus or that you've been without him? And one thing that I think a lot about as a pastor is people who profess the name of Jesus boldly on social media, in their workplace, in their families, and they live a life completely that contradicts what they say. Keeps me up at night because I feel like I got to go behind them and rewrite all the wrongs. Like, oh, they didn't mean that, you know. That's not really how Christians act. Or, you know, like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's, we don't really do that on social media. 
They're idiots. I'm sorry. Uh, like, I feel like I got to clean it up. What if we lived a life that when people encountered us as believers, as followers of Jesus, that they say, those people are different. Those people have been with Jesus. It says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It took my breath away. It's powerful. There's something here. Listen, the disciples were with Jesus for, for about three years of earthly ministry. They saw Jesus do some wild stuff. I got one and a half minutes. They saw Jesus heal a paralytic. They saw Jesus heal a leper. They, they saw him feed 5,000 with a lunchbox and some macaroni and cheese. They saw him feed 4,000 the same way. They saw him heal a paralytic, turn water into wine. Some of y'all are like, I'm showing up to that party. Jesus cursing the fig tree, casting out the demons, healing a demon-possessed kid, healing a blind man, healing the crippled, raising people from the dead. A deaf man now hears and a mute now speaks. They were with Jesus, but it gets better. He healed a man that's lowered through the roof because of his friend's faith that brought him to Jesus. Don't give up on bringing people to church. I don't know if you know this, but since we moved here, I haven't told you one time to start bringing people to church. Today is the day. I double dog dare you to bring some people to church because I actually feel confident that we can help them now. <laughs> that's funny. That's, funny. I, that's really funny. What if, what if we had so much faith that, that we started bringing people to church knowing that if they could just get into the presence of God, they would be saved and healed and transformed and they would never look back. The woman with the issue of blood, the miraculous catches of fish. Don't forget about the last day on the cross. Jesus submitting his will to the Father's will, forgiving people literally as he's breathing out his last words and he's dying on the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. These men were with Jesus. Something has to change in the way that you walk and talk and live when you're with Jesus. If you got saved and nothing changed, I want you to reconsider that salvation today. There's a difference in saying, I, I want Jesus to be my Savior than Jesus being my Lord. It's really easy to say, yeah, that man died for me and forgave me of my sins. But then it's another thing when Jesus is your Lord and when he says, go, you go. When he says, stop, you stop and you serve and you serve, give and give and you forgive and forgive. That is Jesus being the Lord. That's Lordship. And I'm going to tell you right now, when I got saved and submitted to Jesus as my Lord, I felt friction. Because we are sinful beings that think that we can do it a better way. Anybody else? Am I the only jacked up person in here? And so I submit my will to God's will and ask that his will be done. They saw the way that he loved, the way that he served, the way that he gave, and he paused and he listened and he spoke with conviction and boldness, the way that he lived. These men had been with Jesus and were officially over time. I wanna ask you a question, and now I'm gonna pray for you. Can people tell that you have been with Jesus? Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? I'll never forget getting saved and then getting into a class of professors and men who were pastors 
And I'm be honest with you, a lot of people who were just religious. And I'm not saying all of them, there were some. And I remember looking at the way they argued with each other about theology and, and doctrine, and that's it's very important that we get that right. But I remember thinking, everything y'all are doing is the reason I never want to follow your God. When people see your life, do they see that you've been with Jesus? So if you would, across the room, if you just close your eyes. <laughs> we got through half the notes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My prayer is that if you are a Christ follower here this morning, that when people encounter you, that they would see someone who's different than the world that they live in. And also my prayer is that if you are not a Christ follower, that today if you want to submit your will to God's will and be saved from your sin, the Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on a cross for your sin, for our sin, and you put faith in that, you make him the Lord of your life. One, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. But two, it's the best gift that you could ever receive, salvation. 